This is WomensLeadershipSuccess.com radio, episode number 88. Is your leadership style attracting, engaging, and retaining the current and future women leaders you want and need in your company? In order for women to lead and succeed now and into the future, especially in STEM, science, technology, engineering, and math, you must integrate many of the specific leadership styles that helped our special guest become a vice president of a multi-billion dollar company in her early 40s. Now this show, which is part two, has been delayed. And it was delayed because my 97 and a half year old mother, Margaret Beck, fell and broke her hip five weeks ago. I dropped my work to focus on her recovery. Last week she passed away. She was a remarkable woman. She was raised in poverty during the Depression. She graduated from high school and worked in a factory most of her adult life. She was very, very funny. And she had no prejudice for any race or religion. She was a poet, an artist, and knew hundreds of songs by heart. I never heard her speak bad about anyone. She actively worked to start the Coastal Commission in California and donated time and money to help those in need. Thank you, Mom, for teaching me that how we treat and love others is more important than any possession. Welcome to Women's Leadership Podcast. Showing you how to influence people, improve your performance, and advance your career. Brought to you by women's leadership and career expert Sabrina Brom and womensleadershipsuccess.com. Here's your chance to meet women trendsetters leading the way to success, accomplishment, and balance in business and life. No matter if you're a manager, CEO, or entrepreneur, join Sabrina for coaching and no-nonsense advice to improve your career and bottom line. This is Women's Leadership Success with Carmen Norwood, and today we're. This is part two. We're going to be talking about um, Carmen's leadership style and some other lessons that she'd like to teach us. So, Carmen, what what is your leadership style? Tell us about that. So, I would say that my leadership style is um, participative which means that I value the inputs of uh, all of the team members in the decision-making process. Uh-huh. And that's very important to me because as you know, leading a team, it's important in a lot of instances from the team and also get a diversity of inputs into you know, uh, the strategy into the vision where we're moving forward because having their buy-in, I think, is critical. Um, And as a leader, sometimes I have to make certain decisions and I don't have a problem making, uh, you know, unilateral decisions. But for the most part, I like to bring my team in and have them a part of the decision-making process. How do you make it safe if somebody let's say, have a very different opinion than the rest of the group. Is there safety to to speak out and say, well, I totally disagree with that? How do you do that? 
I tell you, I have been a part of teams where it wasn't safe, <laughs> uh-huh. and I have been part of teams where it is safe and as a environment, and it promotes innovation, right, where people can bring thoughts to the table. Uh-huh. I think a safe environment is really built and developed over time when people are able to build trust as well as uh, work in in an environment where relationships are built and people feel comfortable expressing themselves. Uh-huh. So one of the things that I have been working towards, I am, um, you know, I'm leading a new team, is working to build an environment where people feel comfortable through trust. Um, you know, and that only comes when they can see my commitment you know, by doing the things that I said that I was going to do, by valuing their opinions and things of that sort. And so, you know, I'm building a safe environment right now with the team. I see. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And it kind of fits into the next question, which uh, is about employee engagement. Uh, You know, there's research out now that says only 30% of people in companies are engaged. Um, Mm -hmm. And tell us what what your opinion is about that and what what you do to help that i'll I'll tell you a quick story when i uh joined lockheed martin it was uh in fort worth uh texas and my assignment was as an individual contributor doing systems design sitting in a cubicle in a satellite building and I was away from the <laughs> the large population of employees. I could see them across the parking lot, but <laughs> I wasn't with them. Uh-huh. So I was sitting at my desk one day thinking, how in the world am I going to get connected to the, you know, to this workforce? I'm in this building. I'm away from everything. How am I going to get connected? And so from an employee engagement perspective, it is so important for leaders to have that in the forefront because, as I mentioned uh, during a previous uh, answer, is that the employees are the greatest asset. Uh And if you have employees that are not connected, you're not getting, I don't believe, 100% out of that employee. And so I value employee engagement. I I value one-on-one employee engagement as well as engaging with employees on a mass level through all hands meetings, town hall meetings. I always do walkabouts where I walk from desk to desk, you know, just sitting down, talking to employees, getting an understanding of what, um, you know, the start, stops, and continues, what's working well, and that kind of thing. So Again, building an environment, an inclusive environment, and an environment where people feel free to talk. You know, it's it's is that people in management are thinking almost robotically or mechanistically, like you know mm-hmm. we've got to with these numbers we've got to make this work better. But they're not they're not trying to get people enrolled in what's going on. It's more right. like you know uh, command thing. And I'm just wondering why don't more senior management people work harder to engage in employees what's the what's the misperception that they have that keeps them from doing that well I, sometimes i think that it's not necessarily deliberate but when we think about corporate america what really drives 
corporate America is making money. And how do you make money? It's delivering some value, some product to a customer. And I think a lot of times as leaders we focus on the bottom line, making money, you know, and things of that sort and not necessarily are the people that make it happen. Okay, you broke up right there for a second. So you said okay. so you said that um they focus on making money and then that then it broke up. So could you repeat that part? Yeah, so we focus on making money, delivering products, but we don't necessarily focus on the engine, and I'm going to call the people the engine mm-hmm. that enable us to make the money, right. to deliver the product. And I don't think leaders deliberately do it, but it's just something that drives us. You know, making the money drives leaders. Right. And using your and analogy, we need to oil the we need to oil the engines. <laughs> That's right. Exactly. And one thing that I really love about um working here at Lockheed Martin is one of the little slogan slogans that we always use is that our greatest asset is the people. The people that build the product. And so we want to make sure that from an employee engagement perspective, they have a safe environment to work in. And safe environment is, you know, means a lot, not just, you know, minus hazardous type things, but an environment where they feel free to um, to talk, to be innovative, to bring their ideas to the table. And so from the CEO down, I think that message flows and so the expectation is that all of our leaders are engaging with the employees. Wow, that's I, really I beautiful. You, just yeah, just today I was at a staff meeting. I led I was sitting in for my boss who's the general manager uh here at the site and I led a discussion with his staff on engagement because it is one of our um, imperatives this year, our commitments this year is to have a real focus on engagement to make sure that we're doing enough to connect all of our employees to to you know to the company. Mm-hmm. Wow. Um, and you know we could spend another hour just on this subject. So I'm I'm but I'm going to go ahead and move on here. Um, <laughs> okay. a, a leader's vision is vital to a company's success, and I'm one. That's correct, right? <laughs> Absolutely. And what is your vis- vision of success in your division? Well, I tell you, I'm responsible for international programs, and it's really the program management of international our international portfolio. Mm-hmm. So once a customer decides to purchase an aircraft, my team is really responsible for the execution of that and ensuring that the aircraft is delivered to the customer. Mm -hmm. And so my vision really is a shared vision um, with all the leadership. It's all about growing our business. So we want to grow the business. We want to tap into markets that we haven't historically been able to tap into Mm -hmm. and really grow the business and to continue to make our C-130 product a viable product to our international customers. Mm-hmm. And, you, you know, you talked uh, in the last interview, you talked about your, you had a vision of being a, a vice president and how mm-hmm. how that really propelled you forward. And 
And now you have a very strong vision for your company. That's right. So, And that really influences everything you're doing with your employees, Absolutely. with your customers. What Absolutely. You- and I, let me just add yeah. one, one thing to that. It's, it's not enough for a leader to have a vision. The employees have to also be aligned with that vision. How do you make that and, happen? Is uh, you know, I mean, because what I what I hear happening so much, Carmen, is uh, leaders will say, "This is our vision," and everybody's mm-hmm. kind of yawning and going, "Oh yeah," mm-hmm. uh, you know. <laughs> so how do you how do you get that alignment? Well, I tell you, people say uh, a leader to be able to clearly articulate. You know, if I say, "Okay, I want to increase my sales by, you know, fifty billion dollars mm-hmm. this year." I need to be able to articulate to the person on the floor building the aircraft how what they do will contribute to that $50 billion increase in sales, how that engineer that's designing that widget, how they fit into that overall vision. And so, you know, I look at that as being an art, really, to be able to effectively communicate that to employees. Mm -hmm. And we don't do it enough. We don't, you know, as leaders, we really don't do it enough. And when you talk about employee engagement, that is a way to engage with employees when an employee can understand how they fit into the big picture. Right, because we really all want, we want to be making a contribution, most of us. And so Mm -hmm. that really helps if we know how we're doing that. Beautiful. Absolutely. What, do you have specific qualities that you think uh, make a leader successful? So I I tell you, I think communication is key, having an open-door policy. I also believe that being viewed as the leader of the team, but also being viewed as a team member, where my team believes, hey, Carmen will get in the trenches with me <laughs> to ensure success. And so that's what I exhibit. Those are the behaviors that I have. And, you know, I, I've i had success being that way as a leader. Can you give an example of that? Absolutely. So um, I tell you, uh, not too long ago, I was uh, working with um, a program manager who uh, needed to get uh, some things done in order to deliver an aircraft. However, our production team had a different vision, a different uh, view. They had constraints from a manpower perspective, from a funding perspective, and and things of that sort. And that program manager approached me and said, you know, I've exhausted everything that I can do to kind of get production on board to meet these requirements. Can you help me? And I was able to, through my relationship building, to you know, meet with the vice president over production and work out a plan to ensure that we had support for that aircraft uh, delivery for the customer. Mm-hmm. And so um, just those experiences that an employee has with me as a leader builds trust. Um, they see my dedication, my commitment, and my willingness to, to jump right in there with them in order to solve problems. Beautiful. 
it seems like, uh, especially in engineering, um, I was, how can a company um, attract women, skilled, highly qualified women, to work for their companies? And how can those, and how can the company help those women advance? Well, I tell you, a company has to have a welcoming environment for women. And I, I say that because when I think about, you know, working in the defense industry, my corporation really mirrors what our customer's uh, organization looks like. So if you think about our customer being a military customer, you have mostly men. And so that's really what you see uh, in my company as well. And we have done a lot to ensure that we have an environment where women feel that they have a seat at the table, they have a voice at the table, because when you go into any environment, and I don't care who you are, but if you go into any environment and you are the only female or the only African-American or the only whatever, it's an uncomfortable situation Mm -hmm. and could be a little intimidating. And so we have uh, learned all different types of leadership techniques where we facilitate meetings and engage such that everyone has a voice and they are given an opportunity to speak and uh, their opinions are valued. And um, it's very critical for um, the environment in which we work in because it is so male-dominated. And not only that, uh, just the environment, you know, for mothers, you know, expecting mothers, new mothers, you know, we have um, places where um, uh, women can go if they're breastfeeding, you know, to, you know, pump um, and store their their milk for their newborn children. Mm -hmm. And so we're doing things to make sure that we have an environment that's accommodating for women no matter what stage of life uh, you are in. And a lot of times it's those leadership behaviors that have to change to um, be more accepting of women or, you know, people who don't necessarily look like the organizational, um, you know, makeup that we have right now. Got it. Um, to end up today, I want to ask you about STEM. Now, that it's science, technology, engineering, and mathematics. Uh huh. And w- tell what what is STEM, and and how are you involved with that? So STEM is all about getting. Um, kids as early as K through 12 mm-hmm. interested in science, technology, engineering, and mathematics. A large percentage of the jobs, the companies, are technology companies, technology jobs. And if we don't invest in building STEM talent, then we won't have a pool of you know individuals who could take on those jobs. And so from a business imperative perspective, um, we uh, invest quite a bit of money, time, effort in ensuring that we create STEM development programs 
in um, various educational arenas. We do a lot on the college level. We do a lot in K through 12 to start building STEM talent so that they can take on one of the 50,000 engineering and scientist jobs that we have at the Lockheed Martin Corporation. Mm-hmm. So what percentage of young women are being exposed to this type of program, do you think? So I don't know the exact number, but I tell you, we engage with several organizations that really focus only on girls in STEM. Uh-huh. There's an organization that's called Cool Girls. There's an organization called Girls in STEM. Um, there's a, many organizations. There's one that we do quite a bit of work with. It's called Girls, Inc. And it's all about saying, hey, young women, take a look at these women who have excelled in STEM careers. These are the types of jobs they're doing. And, hey, they're here to volunteer and help you with science experiments or or things of that sort. So we engage quite heavily with organizations that focus on girls in STEM to show them the possibilities of what they can become because I think in a lot of instances that's what we're not doing as a society is really showing girls what they could become uh-huh. in the areas of STEM. Um, I I heard that you had a bunch of girls to your facility uh, about what six months ago. You had yes, a, we did. And and can you share what who came and what you guys what what you did with the girls? So we had about thirty to forty girls um, from our local community to come to Lockheed Martin to tour the facility and also uh, take a look at um, the the movie uh, Hidden Figures uh-huh. and then uh, reconvene after the movie and kind of talk about what they saw and in the movie and any questions that they may have and things of that sort. I don't know if you know, but a part of that movie was actually filmed right here at our facility in Marietta at the Wind Tunnel. No, I did not know that. (laughs) Yes, so the young ladies had a chance to take a look at the wind tunnel prior to seeing the movie and seeing it in the movie and learning, you know, what the wind tunnel is, is, is used for and also meet many ladies here at the company who are engineers, who are scientists, who are tech, technologists in their own right. I had an opportunity to kind of kick the session off, and I talked to them about the fact, you know, I am six feet tall, and everybody thought that I should be a basketball player because I was so tall. Uh-huh. And But that's not where my interests were. I was really interested in science and technology and and mathematics and things of that sort and really encouraged the the young women you know you're not necess- you're not required to fit into a box because how you look or what you know traditionally women have done mhm and we want to we wanted to just expose them to the possibilities how old were these little, how old were these little girls they were from anywhere from about nine years old to thirteen, fourteen years old. That that is so amazing. I've I was raised in um we were poor and didn't know anybody that ever went to college, anybody except for the teachers I had at school. 
And right. the whole thought of getting to go to something like that and be exposed to that would would have been so incredible for me. And I bet those little girls are still talking about that experience. Mm-hmm. That, that is really neat. Yes, we got a lot of great feedback from uh, the organizers of the event, uh, some of the folks that were volunteering, as well as the young ladies. So I think we hit a home run that day, and we have a lot of people interested in pursuing STEM careers and working at Lockheed Martin. <laughs> That's beautiful. <laughs> so we're we're just about out of time, and I wonder, is there any um, anything we haven't covered that you'd anything else that you can think of that you want to share with? The women sure. Listening? Uh, you know, yes. I I, I always uh, tell people, and I just think about my own career. You know, growing up in Mississippi, I had no clue, you know, really what I was going to do. Um, you know, but I knew that I wanted to do something great and progress in my career. And someone told me a long time ago, think of your career path as a journey. Think of it as as a journey, a journey that you don't necessarily have to rush through, but learn along the way and, you know, use all experiences as building blocks so that you can get to that ultimate goal of being the CEO, the vice president, the executive vice president. You want to make sure that you are competitive for those roles. And I would just encourage any. Don't be afraid. Be willing to take on, you know, new, different things. Stretch yourself because there are many opportunities out there. And if we don't stretch ourselves, if we don't step out, if we don't, you know, take those risks, we'll never realize what we really could become, what our real potential is. And that's the goal, to reach your real potential and, and you know, give back to our community, our society, because as women, I think, you know, we can do anything. Wow, that's very inspiring. Thank you so much for taking this time, Carmen. Um, really appreciate you doing this for all the women listening and uh, wish you well on your journey. Thanks for listening today. Be sure to listen to part one of my interview with Carmen Norwood to get the full story if you haven't already heard it. If you like this interview, there are three other great stories of amazing women under 50 who rose to leadership positions that will inspire, educate, and entertain you. The Women's Leadership Radio podcast show numbers are number 17, Stephanie Gallo, How to Become a Woman Leader in a Family Business, Number 19, Karen Guilford, SVP General Manager at the Walt Disney Studios. And number 65, multimillionaire Chesapeake Candle founder, May Shui. I would like to give you two free resources that will absolutely help your career and help you to be a better leader. They are the 11 secrets women leaders can use to get confident, advance their careers in leadership. You can download this free resource now at www.womensleadershipsuccess.com slash 11-free-confidence-secrets. Also, while there, be sure to sign up for one of my new free webinars on 
on how you can become more confident and stop sabotaging your career. Thanks again for listening. Have a great day. And remember, how we treat other people is more important than possessions. Thank you for joining your host, Sabrina Brahm, on another Women's Leadership Podcast. If you have questions or comments, you can email her at sabrina at sabrinabrahm.com. Since 1989, Sabrina and her team have helped hundreds of women managers, business leaders, and entrepreneurs with valuable trainings, articles, books, and executive coaching. For additional tips, interviews, and free access to Great Leaders Today mini-course, visit www.womensleadershipsuccess.com.